0: Is an Odyssey original.
1: This is KX in depth. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. March has been wet. Now it's wetter. Another big storm sitting over Southern California. We'll go in depth.
2: President Biden uh, in Monterey Park to talk about gun violence and take action to reduce it. Also, AI is so advanced now that you'll have trouble figuring out who on the radio is real. And who isn't?
1: I mean, for example, we're we're not. No, we are. No, we're I not. I think yes, I'm we real. Are.
2: <laughs> Therefore, I am. Let,
1: let them guess. Let them. Let <laughs> them luck. guess. Yeah. We start with this big storm and how it could impact the mountains. Susan Harrison lives in Lake Arrowhead, and Rick Elliott lives nearby in Twin Peaks. Both of you, thanks for being with us. Susan, let's start with you. So, this uh, storm, uh, I don't believe where you are. Is going to be uh, snow. I think it's going to be rain, but that could be a problem too, couldn't it?
3: Yes. Good. Uh, good afternoon. We are at five thousand six hundred feet, and uh, we are we've been rained on all day long. So uh, it's helping a little bit uh, melt the snow, but I have at least five feet of snow in front of my house.
2: Wow. Well, so think... w- w- would it be good if it melts slowly as opposed to uh, quickly, then you get a big sudden flood? Or is is the slow going to do you okay?
3: I think slowly is probably better in this situation because it is quite a bit of snow. In some areas um, like Valley of Enchantment, Crestline, uh, Cedar Pines, they got even more
4: snow.
1: Rick uh, Elliott over in Twin Peaks, what about you? What's the situation there?
4: Uh, it was foggy mostly today. Uh, it didn't start raining till about an hour ago, and it got a little bit colder. I think the rain is going to do well, though, in, in melting the snow. The last couple of days we had a good melt, so this will help.
2: Uh, Rick, how are you feeling? I mean, what's your general sense? Are you, are you feeling better about things? Are things improving for you, or are you still uh, maybe uh, upset with the response?
4: Uh, you know what? That's, that's water under the bridge, so to speak. Uh, no pun intended. It's over. It, yeah. It's over now in, in, unless, you know, there's an issue if I need um, insurance to pay for anything. We really aren't going to know until the snows recede to check for damage later. So that's the only time uh, that I really have an issue is if it becomes an issue.
1: Susan, uh, are you in as uh, charitable a mood?
4: Yes.
3: Um, I've been working with over 500 volunteers uh, from the community. And uh, uh, we, we're we not a 501c3, but we just neighbors help, helping neighbors. And uh, it's called Operation Mountain Strong. And we have a website with that name where people are still in need for food, medical supplies, Um, We have nine distribution centers. Uh, We've distributed 56,000 pounds of crop produce. Uh, 21,000 pounds were transported up by CalDart volunteer helicopters. Uh, We've served over 7,000 hot meals through World Central. And uh, over 20,000 people have been fed. And the reason for that is not necessarily that they can't afford it, But we lost two supermarkets, and we only have one supermarket serving an area, and a lot of people still can't get out of their driveways.
2: Susan, uh, Rick uh, raised an uh, interesting uh, specter of something down the road, uh, and that is insurance. Uh, I wanted to ask you, did you have damage that you might need insurance to take care of? And if if so, do you have good insurance, and do you feel good about uh, the kind of help that you can expect?
3: Uh, We do have insurance. Uh, We don't know if they will um, uh, accept the claim or decline the claim. I hope that they accept the claim because we do have a lot of damage. Um, And uh, we've been trying to stay on top of it. But with this rain, it does not help.
1: Rick, would you do anything differently in the future?
4: In the future? um, I don't think there's anything that we could have foreseen. For instance, like you were talking before the response, when we heard this was coming, we thought it would be like any other snow. And it would snow, they would plow the roads, it would snow, they would plow the roads, but they stopped at a certain point and then the snow was too much. So it's really not us that would do anything different because we did very well. We had we have two small generators We kept up with the snow as fast as we could until it became a burden, and then we just hunkered down. Um, I can't think of anything that we didn't do that we could have done that would have made it better.
2: All right. Thank you so much, uh, Susan Harrison, living in Lake Arrowhead, and also Rick Elliott, uh, living uh, in nearby Twin
1: Peaks. Right now, though, L.A. School District Superintendent says schools will probably close if there's a three-day strike planned by the unions representing thousands of LAUSD workers. A strike date is set to be announced tomorrow. Now, that would put a strain on many parents, not to mention the kids. Laura Robbins has a daughter who's a 7th grader at a middle school in the Valley. Laura, thanks for being with us. Good morning. Good morning. So, if the schools close for a few days, three days, what does that do for you? What does that do for your child?
5: Well, it forces us into taking our child to work with us, and I can work 10 to 12 hour days. Um, I'm an independent contractor, and then she's in a busy and noisy environment trying to complete her own work. And the fatigue that sets in for a child being at work with a parent is very real.
2: And it's a big strain, too, when, you, when you're when you in a position where you can't easily afford uh, child care. And then also, uh, even if you could, you don't know how long the strike is going to go and how long the school is going to be closed down.
5: Right. You just nailed it. I mean, I would say a lot of leadership has lost its credibility. You know, when we began the pandemic, they said, hey, it's just going to be two weeks. None of us knew that it would be closer to two years that a lot of us were told you cannot work.
1: Let me ask you also about the impact on your, your daughter's education, because as you just pointed out, of course, the schools were closed, locked down a lot longer than what initially had been the, the plan, which was a couple of weeks uh, and instead ended up being, you're correct, about two years. Uh, so by comparison, if it's shut another three days, it doesn't seem like a lot. But uh, what does it do for your own child's? Uh, I presume there's some education deficit from the schools having been closed for two years.
5: We've seen a lot more of that with some of our friends. Our daughter has fortunately had a lot of support. Um, but what you see more of with the children is a lack of motivation. I mean, the kids are facing a real crisis of confidence and depression, and just enjoyment of school anymore. <laughs> and.
2: I can understand that uh, this has got to be very emotional for you because uh, even uh, if we're talking just a couple of days uh, a, a younger child doesn't know that all a younger child is going to feel is that this is like uh, the bad times when we were uh, stuck at home for, and, and and mom and dad couldn't work and uh, we didn't see our friends for a long time and and they don 't know that this is this is going to be a lot more temporary than that but uh, but they they don't feel it that way
5: they don't trust it. They don't trust that it will be temporary. Neither do we. We just that leadership again has lost its credibility.
2: I I know that some parents are uh, kind of hesitant. They they don't want to criticize teachers because uh, because I think a lot of we parents our under yeah you, so. you <laughs> love your teachers yeah. and you know they they have hardships of their own to deal with in addition to sometimes not being paid nearly enough for what they do. But do you have a message that you would like to give to to teachers to the workers who are going to go on strike and to the school board?
5: Um, we believe that people should be paid a working wage 100%. But if it comes into digging heels in on either side and not being able to compromise and find an agreement for the benefit for all of our kids, there are close to a million kids in LAUSD, you know, 670,000, I believe, um, just be adults and come to an agreement and don't force this issue on the rest of us tomorrow. Please.
1: The, um, you said you had a lot of support. Your child had a lot of support during the two years of the, of the lockdown. Uh, what kind of support?
5: Um, educational therapists, tutors, aunts and uncles that pushed in um, uh, therapy uh, that was virtual and Zoom. Um, parents that sat on her <laughs> you know we really tried to make learning fun in the midst of it we would take our work out into the park and and do zoom from there if we needed to or from the sea if we were able to um she just really uh had a lot of extra support around her because we had family members that pushed in and participated
2: Uh, Laura, I I don't have a question for you, but I do want to say something to you. I want to, because I can hear uh, how this is impacting you emotionally and, and I empathize with that. Now, I've, I've never had children. So, you know, I might approach hearing this story as like, well, there's, the schools might be closed for a few days or, you know, they're going to resolve the strike quickly and it's not that big of a deal. But to a parent with a child like you and children dealing with the aftermath of a pandemic, this has got to be an emotional wallop that you probably weren't. Ready for? I I can't no. promise you that it's going to be okay, but I can tell you that people are hearing you right now, and they hear the pain that you feel, and they understand because of what you've said the pain that your child, and by extension, all the children, are going through. And I want you to know that you have been heard. Thank you. We thank uh, Laura Robbins. Uh, Laura has a daughter who is a seventh grader at a middle school in the valley for joining us today.
1: Coming up, you might soon tune into the radio and enjoy uh, the newest DJ, but don't expect to ever see them in pictures or video because they're not real. I don't know
2: that I'm real. I still have to work on that question. I'm sure you're not. Thank you. Right now, though, President Biden traveling to Monterey Park after the mass shooting in January that left 11 people dead there. The president just signed an executive order that will uh, do things like uh, increase the number of background checks to buy guns. Matt Lacombe is a political science professor at Case Western Reserve University, also author of a book called uh, Firepower, how the NRA turned gun owners into a political force. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So what's your assessment of this uh, executive order and uh, how long do you think it'll stand up before? Uh, I'm sure it's going to get challenged right away. Will it stand up to a challenge?
6: So there are a couple of things that I think stand out about it. First, from a, just a general political perspective, it's it's notable that President Biden is continuing to to, to forge ahead on the gun issue. You know, even after having passed a piece of legislation last summer, uh, for a long time this was an issue that Democrats actually generally tried to avoid, thinking that it was something of a, a political loser. So I think it's notable that gun safety groups have 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 applied sufficient pressure to get him to move forward in terms of the policy impact of of the legislation. You know, no no uh, uh, particular single act is ever going to be a sort of silver bullet in solving a problem as uh, uh deep and prominent as gun violence, but I, I do think uh, uh, these actions will go a long way in terms of, of mostly helping the current system, current laws that are in place function better. Will it stand up to legal scrutiny is something that uh, I don't think anybody can really answer. It's sort of the wild west right now in terms of uh, uh, figuring out uh, how the lower courts uh, are going to enact and try and uh, uh, fit into the, the uh, pretty vague standards that the Supreme Court has laid out uh, for them.
1: And of course, as you, uh, as you know, Matt, you know, gun owners and, and certainly the NRA, you know, they look at a place like California, for example, and they say, well, you guys have, you know, some of the strictest gun laws already on the books, and yet you've had all these mass shootings. So there is essentially what they're saying. Uh, is their argument valid at all?
6: So, you know, I, I, I mean, in short, Not really. Uh, I think the problem with that argument is that it uh, sort of assumes that federally enacted gun laws would work exactly the same uh, as as state level gun laws. Uh, And there's good reason to think that might not be the case. If you can get guns into California from other states that have looser regulations, uh, uh, that's going to be a problem that would not be a problem if if the same laws from California uh, were enacted, uh, uh, federally, you know, having said that mass shootings are a particularly tough type of shooting to prevent. So when we think of gun regulations, they're probably going to do more to reduce sort of everyday rates of gun violence than they are to solve the problem of mass shootings, which is just really, a uh, you know, a tough thing to act because, it's, uh, uh, to prevent because it's kind of a, a, a rogue act. But I think that argument, um, um, really only stands up for about 60 seconds. (laughs) And you know,
2: it's kind of tough because on the one hand you argue that, well, when there are stronger gun regulations, there are fewer shootings, there are fewer deaths, but fewer is not none. And the way people respond emotionally is when they, when a mass shooting happens, it's like, well, mass shootings still happen. And at the moment they do not feel that there are fewer shootings. So it's hard to make the case that we need stronger gun laws. Uh, uh, so how do you make that case to someone, say, a, a, a gun rights supporter who would make that argument like, well, so mass shooting still happens. So why should I support gun control?
6: So I think there are there are two things you might say. First, you might just try and be realistic in terms of the time horizons involved with trying to solve uh, uh, major social problems. It typically does not happen overnight. You, you, you try and enact incremental, uh, uh, policy initiatives to address it and you give them time to take effect. But the other thing I would say is that I'm not sure it's a fair bar for gun. Le- I'm not sure that the total prevention of gun violence and mass shootings is a fair bar, uh, for gun regulation. To meet, uh, you know, if you get in a car accident, uh, and you're wearing a seatbelt, you could still get injured or die, but you're less likely to do so. And if everybody is doing so, the number of, of, of traffic related deaths, all things equal is probably going to go down. And that's probably a, a better way to look at it than to say, uh, uh, if a particular piece of legislation can't prevent this from ever happening, then it's not worth enacting at all.
2: All right, Matt Lacombe, thank you so much. Uh, political uh, science professor at Case Western Reserve University.
1: You're listening to X In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Tensions are rising between the U.S. and Russia
2: after the U.S. military says a Russian fighter jet collided with an American
1: drone over the Black Sea. Now, the White House called the Russian planes move reckless. With us now is retired Army Colonel Peter Mansour, who is now a military history professor at Ohio State University. Thanks for being with us again. Appreciate it.
7: Oh, my pleasure. Thank uh, I, you for having me on.
1: I should point out now that uh, Russia's military, they're saying, according to uh, the New York Times, that the uh, drone crashed after executing sharp maneuvers, not after a collision, uh, regardless of what actually happened uh, it does seem as if tension is mounting in that part of the world.
7: Well, it's it's pretty hilarious that they would accuse a propeller driven drone of a significant maneuver when their <laughs> Su-27 flanker jet aircraft are flying at, uh, you know, close to the speed of sound. So, th- so that is false on its face. But tensions are increasing. The United States has these reconnaissance drones looking into the Crimean Peninsula and at the war in Ukraine. And the Russians don't like that, and so they're using their aircraft to try to uh, force us back.
2: Uh, in your view, how will the U.S. respond to this? And, and then also add how you think uh, we should respond to it.
7: I think the response will be muted. Uh, we'll make diplomatic protests, and that will be about it. Um, it's not quite the, uh, the deal it was back in 2001 when a Chinese fighter jet took the nose off a U.S. reconnaissance plane. And that crew was forced to then land on Chinese territory in Hainan Island. Um, that was a much more serious incident and caused an international uh, crisis, which was finally resolved. This is an unmanned plane. Uh, there was no lives lost. And I think this will blow over pretty quickly. <laughs>
1: Yes, except that uh the White House is saying that in the past uh, few months we've seen more and more of these intercepts. Of course, this time it led to uh an actual uh, collision if you want to call it. I guess it was a collision uh, that forced the drone down. Uh so it is escalating and that's the danger, isn't it? That nobody can really predict. You know, you're mentioning the incident in what was it uh, 2000 was it 2021? 2001. 2001 with the Chinese. I mean, nobody really can predict when something accidentally happens that would escalate it beyond anything we could at the moment think of.
7: Yeah, the the real danger is to the Russian aircraft, though. I mean, if we lose a drone, we lose a drone. If they lose a, a plane, they're going to lose a pilot. Um, and that's when it becomes really serious. So um, I'm not sure we can we can do much to avert another crisis because it's really up in the Russian to the Russians not to fly so close to drones, which are flying in international airspace. And I don't think we want to take the step of of just withdrawing those drones from from near the uh, borders with Russia just because they don't want them there. Um, is there some kind of weird
2: counterintuitive thing that Russia might be trying to do here to goad us into further and further action? that they think would somehow, some way benefit them. And I I can't imagine what that would be, because I would think they wouldn't want more direct involvement between the U.S. and Russia over Ukraine.
7: Yeah, it's doubtful that they're trying to pull us into the conflict. That would be against their interest. Uh, The Russians have been doing this for a decade now. They've been overflying our ships and flying close to our airplanes. They've been playing chicken For many, many years. And this is just more of the same, I think.
1: What do we get by having drones uh, over that area?
7: Well, we get intelligence, which we then uh, no doubt forward to the Ukrainians um, who may end up uh, conducting military operations in these areas that we're surveilling. So this is part of the conflict, and the Russians are treating it as such. Uh, But we are operating within the international. Uh, rules by flying in international airspace, and the Russians shouldn't be doing what they're doing uh,
2: There are some Republicans who have come out uh, against the administration line that uh we should not be helping ukraine that uh Uh, They are making the claim, which which comes from some people in Russia, that Russia was provoked into this attack. And I wonder and the reason I asked my last question that I did was I wonder if Russia is aware that there is a growing sentiment among some of the US of we should not be helping Ukraine. We should stay out of this. And that's something obviously that Russia would want.
7: Well, yes, uh, that would be uh, something they definitely want should the U.S. stop supporting Ukraine, Ukraine would eventually um, have to come to some sort of agreement with Russia. But given that Putin will only accept a maximalist uh, 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 agreement that puts Ukraine under basically under Russian control, uh, I don't see that being in the U.S. interests at all. Uh, This is, um, you know, this is Entering into the realm of domestic politics, and it should not, because it's pretty clear that uh, having the Ukrainians win this conflict is in the interests of all those nations that uh, want international law and respect for borders to prevail.
1: All right. Thank you so much. That is a retired Army Colonel Peter Mansour. So one day, maybe driving along, tune in the radio, Mm -hmm. hear a DJ or maybe a news personality. Maybe they'll read a news story or tell you a joke. Mm -hmm. Only that personality may not be a person. It could
2: be AI, artificial intelligence. One company has started the first radio platform powered by AI. And take a listen to this. 100% AI. We'll assemble compelling information.
3: We'll offer highly engaging data. And
1: we'll do it 24-7.
3: I'm completely AI. So am
1: I. Me too. We all are. All Those Voices... AI. With us is Daniel and Standig, who is CEO and co-founder of Futuri, a media company which has created the uh, A1 radio platform. Thanks for being with us.
0: Hey, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here.
1: So could could this program eventually do? Well, I was going to say do what I do, but a monkey can probably do what I do. <laughs> but, but 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 could it could it do what I do? Well, you know, not
0: entirely today can it do what you do. That's a very high bar. However, it can talk about music that you love. It could provide weather information or traffic information. It could help to share what's trending in local areas. Um, In small towns where there are news deserts and, you know, where we don't often have as much coverage as towns like Los Angeles have. It could help to better inform communities about what's currently trending in their community on social media or online. And it can ultimately be more of a companion 24 seven across not only the US, but around the world in different languages in a way that radio has become famous for.
2: Uh, a few days ago, I uh, went on to the uh, Chat GPT uh, AI thing, and I asked it the question. I asked it, "I'm a news anchor at an all-news radio station in Los Angeles. When will AI replace me?" And it replied. Uh, it started as a language model. I can tell you that AI technology has made big strides in recent years, particularly in the realm of speech recognition. Yada yada yada. It goes on. It, uh, it goes on to explain that uh, there are things that AI can't do that humans can, as in human interaction, human empathy uh, with the audience. And then it ended with this. That being said, it is always important (laughs) to stay up to date with new technologies and to continually develop your skills and adapt to the changing media landscape. But your job is safe in the near future. That was the thing that chilled me in the near future. Okay. So I'm okay for now, but you know, that, that raises the interesting point here with, with this. Well, this is incredible technology and, and this could be a help to some business and companies, but it is people that are being replaced. How do you, how do you, uh, answer that?
0: Well, I, I don't believe that people are going to be replaced by AI in the near term. I believe that people will be replaced by other people who use AI though. And I think that AI is becoming attractive and so interesting to us in so many industries because it does automate repetitive tasks or enhance our efficiency. And in the case of Chat GPT, especially today with the release of, of GPT four, it has more conceptual awareness and ability to strategize and help us solve problems. So I I think, you know, the the ability for AI to analyze so much data so quickly and then produce these humanistic answers for us and personalize the answers for us. It is fascinating. And yes, there should be concern about job displacement and job security and ethical implications. But at the same time, I think AI's potential to revolutionize our lives and solve the complex problems that we all face have far more upside for humanity than downside. And by the way, I think there are many fascinating jobs that will exist in five years because of AI that don't exist today. So, you know, I think this is more of a I think you could call it a job market rotation that it's causing more than it is just simply displacing humans. I think that would be a bit reductive to just say, okay, AI is hmm. here and we all are going to lose our jobs. It, it's it's just not like that.
1: Can you walk us through very briefly, uh, how would this program, for example, uh, if it were doing, uh, say, news, what is it capable of doing? What would it do?
0: So at Futuri, radio GPT ties into a radio station's systems, and it can watch what's currently trending in a local market on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and over 250,000 news sources. And then it uses the back end of ChatGPT or GPT4 now to summarize what's currently happening in a local market. And then it uses AI voices, just like the ones you've just played, to ultimately talk about what's trending on the air. And it on a music station, it could talk about the music that's playing, or it could talk about an artist that has something interesting happening in the news, or it might even talk about an interesting trend or a local business or or people in the community. It really is trained by humans. So ultimately, we train Radio GPT to talk about things that are interesting to audiences and fill in on the times of day when people are listening around the clock and want to hear live and local information.
1: So, Daniel, am I right then, based on what you were saying, so essentially it's capable of doing everything from the research to really writing the script and then delivering that script?
0: It is. It is. Now, there are a lot of safeguards involved in that, because as you can imagine, when you start talking about having AI monitor what's trending or what's happening and then summarize it and talk about it. Uh, you know, the, one of the first things that comes to mind is, well, how do we know that that's accurate and how do we know that that's vetted and, and so on and so forth? And ultimately, that does make a news situation or a station like KNX very unique. And it, and that's why I say it's a very high bar to say that in depth tomorrow is going to be AI hosted. <laughs> but at, at the same time here, what it can, what it can do, there is a lot of vetted information and there are a lot of safeguards in the back end of our system to ultimately check the accuracy or veracity of a topic before it's reported. And in fact, Could, our systems, our AI systems have been used in newsrooms around the world for right. over a decade Could, uh, just for that reason.
1: Is, isn't the system sophisticated enough? that it could carry on this conversation that you and I are having. And are you
0: AI? <laughs> <laughs> I am not AI. Uh, it is sophisticated enough to have this conversation. However, the computing power or the the amount of computing power that's required in real time to have a, a human vo- voice-to-voice conversation like this, is not as fast as it needs to be yet. So it's not yet picking up the phone and talking to listeners. Um, it's not talking to a real-time host, but it can generate talk breaks, a radio term, but it can generate uh, you know, special uh, times when when personalities are talking together uh, on the air. And you may have two or three voices in that talk break that are all AI generated and all have personalities. Um, and and yeah, but that's something you, but, interesting. But,
1: but, 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 but when you say not yet, what's the definition of not yet in other words would it be ready to do this conversation that we're having in 2 years 5 years
0: likely a year from now
1: a year from now
0: likely a year from now it, it won't be it won't be long the computing power that's required for it and the amount that the that ultimately Language models can anticipate where the conversation is going. Will converge and and we'll see more real time conversations.
1: Daniel, uh, Rob, and I are looking for work now. So, if, <laughs> <laughs> if you know of anything,
2: <laughs> well, very quickly, we're running out of time. So, uh, can your program simulate or emulate somebody else's voice? Like, say, for example, uh, movie makers use CGI to bring back actors who have passed on. Could it do that with a, a popular radio DJ from the past who is no longer with us?
0: In fact, it could, and uh, and it could clone it with, of course, the personality's permission. It could clone your voice with remarkable accuracy.
2: All right, I'm not worried at all. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm very relaxed about this. Uh, thank you so much, Daniel and Sandig, CEO and co-founder of Futuri Media, which created an AI radio platform. Well, that's going to do it for in depth for today. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, real, I suppose. You're looking at me, but I'm not programmed for a <laughs> response. <laughs>